You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week on Women on the Line, we hear stories from women inside prisons. People in prisons are already experiencing state violence now during a pandemic where contagion can spread like wildfire in crowded indoor spaces. We hear from Vicky Roach, UN writer and activist, about her lived experiences inside prison to the impossibility of physically distancing inside prison. Second, we hear from LGBTIQ and disability justice advocate Ashley Chapman on her lived experiences, including being inside during the pandemic. A special thanks to Marissa Sfasaro from the Doing Time show on 3CR for the following interview from early August. We now hear from Vicky Roach, introducing herself in conversation with Marissa. Well, I'm a UN woman. Um... And I'm actually living on Ewan country now. Beautiful. And just as an introduction for Vicky, the first time I ever interviewed her was when I think Vicky you'd just got out of prison and we you were talking about your lived experience and helping that you were helping people, prisoners to vote. And there was a campaign about that, wasn't there? Yes, yes, there was. And a successful high court action. Absolutely. And in fact, Vicky's contact with the criminal justice system in Australia began even uh, began when she was two. And yes. I just wanted to, to alert listeners that she is part of the stolen generation, isn't it, Vicky? Yes, yes, yes. I was a terrible criminal at the age of two. Oh, a terrible criminal that, you know, you removed in an era when Aboriginal children were taken from their families in order to be raised by white people in foster homes and institutions. Yes, well, it was still the age of assimilation um, back then, um, and they were still trying to breed us out. Well, that's exactly right. Because it's interesting, and, and I, I just wanted to, if it's okay, Vicky, I just wanted to also say to listeners that under the law at the time, although I think it's still happening now in some ways, any child removed from their family first had to be charged with an offence. Yes, yes, that, that seems to be the device that was, that was used um, to remove most kids um, uh, you know, being charged with being neglected, for example. Like, you know, how, why does the child get charged for that, even if it was the case? Um, yeah, it was, it was a device to facilitate or more easily facilitate the removal of, of kids. Um, but the worst thing about that was um, it might have been a convenient um, avenue at the time for removal, but what it did was um, funnel us into the criminal justice system uh, from a very early age um, because that initial charge was registered as, as a criminal charge um, when you eventually did come into contact with the police, which was pretty much a given um, for kids who were removed. Um, you already had a criminal record, so you were never treated as a first-time offender. You were always treated as an habitual criminal. From a very early age. And even though it's no longer law now, there are still lots of things happening in regards to, to over-incarceration. The, the rate of removal doesn't appear to have 
uh, slackened at all, uh, but have escalated. Um, yeah, if we were to, to look at the figures, I'm sure we'd find it's probably escalated. Um, and yeah, it's still a pipeline to prison. And we know that. And we've known that for years. And yet we continue with these same policies that ensure that First Nations people, particularly women and children, are trapped in the system for virtually the entirety of their lifetime. Which Absolutely. And ironically, in 1991, a Royal Commission aiming to reduce the number of imprisoned Aboriginal people was conducted. And yet the population of Aboriginal women in prison has risen by 148%. It's exploded. It's exploded um, because of our high visibility, um, because of racist policing. Racist policing, racist court systems, the entire system is stacked against us from the word go. And, and of course, that becomes our children as well. That's exactly right. And, and in fact, talking about figures, 80% of these women in prison are mothers. Most are on remand and few have yep. committed any serious crime. Uh, sorry, um, mothers in prison, few have committed serious crime. Yes, that, that's yep. quite true. Um, many of them just can't raise bail. Um, they're not given the opportunity for bail because they might not have a um, permanent address. Um, often magistrates will refuse bail to... Um, they said as rescuing women from a domestic violence situation um, or drug addiction, homelessness, alcohol use. Any, any of these things can be reasons why a magistrate will remind an Aboriginal woman, woman into the prison system where, um, to be fair, a lot of them think that we will get treatment and help when in actual fact it doesn't work that way. You need to be sentenced to at least 12 months before you're able to access any of the services which are pretty inadequate or totally inadequate anyhow, um, but you can't access them at all unless you're sentenced and you have a relatively long sentence. Yeah, that, that is, that's really a, a gross disadvantage and a, and a national disgrace. It is, it is. Um, there was, there was a... Oh, somebody looked at the at the stats once, and there was uh, thirty two Aboriginal women on remand in the Dampier Twelve Centre in Melbourne at one time. Only four of them received a custodial sentence at the end of their remand. Yes, yeah, only four of them out of thirty two women. Now, so why were they on remand? Exactly. Yeah. Um, the only solution, of course, is dismantling um, the prison industrial complex, which is not as easy as it sounds because it, um, you have to dismantle the entire system. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Vicky, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that there are a lot of untreated 
social conditions that lead to incarceration. Can you talk about those? Well, yeah, um, heaps of them. Uh, homelessness or inadequate housing, um, poor education, lack of education, um, poor quality education when it is accessible. Um, there, there, there's nothing... You, you need to have a home for anything to happen. Absolutely. Or, Not to mention domestic yeah. violence, child removal and abuse. Yes, and all of these things are perpetuated by the system against women. The system behaves towards women, in particular Aboriginal women, as an abusive partner does. Uh, I've spoken about this before. They, they treat us as though they own our bodies. Yeah. And by extension, our children's bodies as well. And they prove this to us time and time again. By the brutal policing of our children, by the brutal policing of our women and our mothers um, coming home from a from an after work function and not making it home to to her children, these sorts of situations. Um, that's racist policing, and it you know it's not confined to America. George Floyd, the death of George Floyd, um, really kind of um, opened up the the big picture here and enabled us to to voice what was happening to us that nobody was really sort of taking much notice of un, until America blew up. Exactly. Well, not literally, but you know what I mean, and, until there were riots in the street in America. Um, yes, and with coronavirus happening now and the threat of putting people into prison for not observing, you know, uh, social distancing regulations and stuff like that is just absolutely ridiculous. Let's and talk about that. So, so we've, we're on stage four restrictions. There's a pandemic happening. How does that affect prison, prisoners? Look, I can only imagine because, as you know, it's really difficult to um, get, in, get any, any information out of prison, particularly now when visits are restricted. Um, I'm sure phone calls are as well because there would be little um, out-of-cell time to access the phones. Well, for women anyway, men have access to phones in their units, but women don't. Women have to be able to get out of their cells to be able to use the phones. Um, It will be intense. Like, I've never lived through a a pandemic in a prison um, situation, but um, I've been through several several other situations in a jail when there's been extended lockdown with prisoners kept in their prisons, with, with women kept in their cells and men in, in other prisons kept in their cells for, for really extended periods of time. Some of it was industrial action um, uh, and, and just other things that were kind of out of our control. Um, it's hectic when that happens. Um, the screws are more towy. And if you can imagine what it's like now, like the fear in the community, just in the general community, is high. Yes, screws are not known for being particularly intelligent, so their fear levels will probably be through the roof. Um, They're conditioned to believe that we're filthy and diseased, so they would be treating us like that. And the lockdowns for anybody with sniffles, it's impossible. They can't isolate people um, effectively in a prison setting. Once, it's not possible. 
it's not possible. It's not possible. They can isolate women in their cells and do all the shields and, and stuff, giving them food. Um, but it's just not possible. Uh, there's, there's people coming in and out all the time, like being released and also being sent to prison. Personally, I don't think that anybody, any any court cases happening now should be should be suspended and everyone released on bail. Um, actually, I think everyone should just be let out of prison altogether right now. And we've just had the had the um, instance trying to raise the raise the age where we incarcerate children to more than ten, and they've put it off to after the election. They they, they could not even decide that, well, yeah, 10 is really too young to incarcerate children and restrain them and put speed wads on them and handcuff them and isolate them in, in cells, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. Absolutely. That, that, was, that was shocking to me. I, I kind of thought that that wouldn't happen, that they'd raise the age right there and then. But um, no, we have to wait. When you were talking about social distancing and putting people in prison, what did you mean by that? Oh, just that um, people can be sent to prison for, for breaching um, regulations or guidelines at, at this particular time. Um, and I just find that outrageous. Uh, why would you put somebody in prison? Where well, conditions in prison are not exactly conducive to um, getting rid of coronavirus. It can actually spread at quite an alarming rate when there's congestion and overcrowding. Well, you think of a cruise ship. They were they were likening the, the towers in Melbourne um, to a vertical cruise ship. Well, you might as well say that's what a prison is. We heard part of a conversation between Marissa Spazaro from the Doing Time show on 3CR Community Radio and Vicky Roach, UN writer and activist, on her experiences inside prison to prison issues in the pandemic. Vicky is part of the National Network of Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, who put out a statement in late August calling for the release of women and children inside prisons and abolition. Look them up for more. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you've been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're focusing on stories from women inside prison during this coronavirus pandemic, which is intensifying pre-existing social inequalities. Next, we hear from one speaker from a webinar, Stories from Inside Prison, hosted by the Abolition and Transformative Justice Centre in late July, with special thanks to Miranda Gibson for facilitating. Ashley Chapman is 26 years old, has spent five years incarcerated and has autism spectrum disorder. Ashley focused on LGBTIQ plus rights and support whilst inside and became the first female in the history of female corrections to become an LGBTIQ plus rep and advocate. She is passionate about disability justice and the rights of LGBTIQ plus people in prison. We hear from Ashley. Uh, Ashley Chapman, <laughs> um, 26. Um, I'm originally from Queensland, moved down to Victoria after um, some family violence and um, some trauma as well. Um, and a loss. Um, I first became incarcerated at 20. Um, I grew up in prison, so 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, (laughs) um, and just got out for my 25th, so that's exciting. Um, I came in, um, I'm very 
well educated, you could say. So um, I came in on the back foot. Um, I was around people who did illicit substances and um, drank quite a lot of alcohol. Um, so on those two reasons, I was already on the back foot. Then I realised because of my ASD, um, I was socially impaired, as I used to say. Um, so I didn't win any favours at all straight away. Um, I actually put a target on my back pretty quickly. Um, but I soon learned I can still be myself. Um, it took a while um, and I started noticing I was being treated differently. Some officers would treat me like I was a child um, and, you know, would even ask if I brushed my teeth today. Um, and other officers would treat me like very badly. Um, so I saw that I didn't want to be treated any other, any way differently than everyone else. So I started looking at that and, um, I started focusing on that. I made it my mission. Um, so this is, this is quite close to me as well, because, um, there's a lot of other ways that, um, I could have been punished for my crime than being sent to prison for five years for the first time I ever broke the law. Women on the line. We hear from Ashley on her experiences of being incarcerated in Victoria during the pandemic. So when this pandemic happened, obviously in, in Victoria, we have TVs. Um, so we saw this unfolding. The first thing we wanted to gain access to was sanitizer, um, multi-purpose spray, stuff like that, sponges, Unfortunately, in, if you lived in an open cottage, you were allowed two or three chuck swipes, for example. Um, there's no sanitizer um, at all. Um, so that made it quite difficult to protect yourself and also to protect others. We have quite a lot of elderly people at Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. Um, so it does make it a bit difficult. And as you all know, it is very difficult for everyone with this coronavirus. But if you do have underlying symptoms, it can make it a bit difficult. And the medical system is really bad. And also here in Victoria as well. Um, there's been some horror stories as well. Um, uh, an Aboriginal woman complained of having a really bad stomach ache for years. Um, I'm talking maybe three or four years. Um, and they just put it down to her alcohol um, use before she was incarcerated, stuff like that. It, it turns out um, she had unfortunately had stomach cancer and only recently passed away. So it does make it a bit difficult. The, the doctors and the nurses are A, not qualified enough um, or overworked and also understaffed. Um, one nurse is turning up to a medical emergency. Um, it does make it quite difficult. It's sad to know that all over Australia, all, all prisons are like this. Um, and to not have access to basic sanitizer, um, masks, even gloves. Um, I mean, if you were to take a box of gloves to your room um, to protect yourself and to protect others, it's, it's contraband. Um, you would get in trouble. So even asking the officers for equipment like that when they have it they have it at their staff desk they have quite a few um in one particular unit they had four bottles and if you tried to use one you're not allowed to um it does make it difficult with the coronavirus because obviously as we know social distancing using sanitizer stuff like that you can't do that in prisons 
um, they did try to move everyone out if you were in a double room. Um, you can potentially live in a unit. There's three units that can have 15 people in it. So these three units have all 15 in them. Um, and if coronavirus was to get in, and it already is in the Victorian prisons, but to get into the female system, because we only have that one particular prison, we do have a minimum security. But Danefellis Frost Centre is overcrowded. Um, it is understaffed. Um, and it's just easier for them to lock you in your unit or your cell than it is to deal with anything. We had one particular person um, quite unwell. So they located everyone from that particular unit, shoved them all in the unit. Um, they were buzzing up for and on the intercom, intercom for what I would think is about seven hours nearly. And I was, I was living next door um, and no help. The nurses are coming. They'll come when, when they can. Um, I happened to be walking behind two particular nurses with an officer being escorted to them to do the tests. And I overheard them say, we don't know what we're doing. They had no PPE on um, and they walked in, no PPE at all, walked in and said, oh, I don't think you have coronavirus. Um, at that point, that was the start of the coronavirus pandemic. So we didn't know a lot about it at all. So basically, because the staff are either undertrained or overworked or just downright just don't care, and unfortunately that is the case with some, it makes it difficult because it's going to be transferred. You have support staff coming in um, rare now that the pandemic, they're all, most of them are video. Um, but you have the officers coming in as well. Um, there's no temperature checks. There's no nothing at the, at, the, at the gate when they walk in. You have a lot of construction going on at the moment um, with the Danefellis Frost Centre. So you have a lot of those um, tradies coming in as well. It's just... There's no system in place for this, even though we've been going through this for months now. Nothing's being done about it, and that's the dangerous part, is no government's taking control. No, The general manager, for instance, um, it's literally like she's been on holiday with the Prime Minister in Hawaii, for Christ's sake. So um, it makes it a bit difficult when even the general manager... Um, you don't see her. I expected her to be walking around with a mask on going, right, you do this, you do that. And that's what should happen. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's made worse by this pandemic and the previous medical conditions that you have. It's going to get very dangerous. Um, and are we even going to hear about it? And that's the issue. We've had four deaths in custody at Dane Phyllis Frost Centre. And I can tell you now, the last one we heard was the um, corrections officer. Um, there was a recent um, death of a Koori woman. We did hear about that a little bit. Um, she had been in her cell for hours, um, screaming out for pain. Other people had been pressing their buttons, um, requesting um, assistance for this for this woman. And they put it down to, oh, it's just she's only just come in, she's coming off drugs. Um, and it actually turns out that the medical system had given her the wrong drug on top of what she'd already taken out in the community. So basically feeding someone full of medication is exactly what they do. It's mm. let's give you some medication, um, goodbye. Um, and the same with 
same with DPFC as well. Getting a getting assistance medically for anything is quite difficult. Um, I was electrocuted, um, partly my fault, but um, there was equipment that should never have been placed there and it was quite dangerous. Um, they were like, no, let's just wait a little bit. Um, let's not take you to the medical department because then they would have to, then WorkSafe would come in and investigate. So it's basically when something does happen, is the right authorities going to be notified? And that's the issue because I bet you a million dollars, no. And that's that's the difficult part about this is because it's a broken system and even if the community does want to help, they're not being fed the right information. Um, I've spoken to many people who think it's like Wentworth <laughs> mm. um, that have these idealistic views on our prison systems and ex especially DPFC. DPFC is very big with social media, lots of different videos. Um, it's all a load of, yeah, <laughs> it's not true. And that's the issue is that's what needs to change. There needs to be more forums like this, more seminars like this to tell the truth and people not afraid to tell the truth. And that's where it becomes difficult because we're always going to cop flack especially as ex-prisoners as well, is because are they lying? Are they telling the truth? Is what they're saying is true? Because us up against corrections is is difficult. Um, and I would say we would cop flack for this. We would, there would be many flack for this. Look what happens with the Black Lives Matter protest. They, let's just go in and let's just arrest them all and throw them all in prison. Um, let's not hear what they have to say and you know, adapt and change and develop a new system. Um, and that's the issue is corrections needs to change. It needs to literally be flipped inside out, upside down and just changed. You just heard from LGBTIQ and disability justice advocate Ashley Chapman on her lived experiences in inside prison, including during the pandemic. A special thanks to Miranda Gibson for the webinar hosted by the Abolition and Transformative Justice Centre. You can find a link in the show notes in our future podcast to listen to the full webinar. That's all for this week's Learn on the Line, looking at women's stories inside prisons. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land, and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network, with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program. So please send an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The theme music for Women on a Line was produced by Ripley Kavara. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.